Please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, and if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, there's, there's some on the sides, or you can download uh, the Bible app we use is Uversion, and you can download that as well, and there's uh, several copies of the Bible there if you have a mobile device. And so we're, we're in 1 John, we've uh, been in it for quite a while now, and we're nearing the end of our series on 1 John. We took a couple weeks off, and we a few weeks ago we looked at the, verses 6. Uh, through 9, and now we're kind of looking at verses 10 through 12, and so we're going to look at that this morning as we uh, get ready to come to the, the end of it here in a few weeks. So it's kind of an exciting time for us as we've, we've uh, really, I, I think, as a church benefited from what God has had to say to us through First John. This is going to be a tough morning. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Um, you're going to be smelling some good food, and uh, it's going to be tough, but we can do this. Uh, I'm hungry uh, already, just, just thinking about the food. So in all seriousness, uh, after this service is our Feast of Thanks, our, our potluck, and so we encourage you to, to come and be a part of that. You don't have to have RSVP'd for it or anything. This will be your, your first Sunday here, and we'd love to have you come and, and be a, a part of that. So uh, that's after this service across the hall there'll be a little bit set up and mike will give us some instructions as we we close the service but uh, one of our favorite uh, meals of the year times of the as a church of the year and we didn't get to celebrate it last year so it's kind of fun that, that god has allowed us this opportunity on a sunday morning to to celebrate it once again so first uh, john chapter five we're looking at verses 10 through 12 but i'm going to go ahead and give us the context again and read verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9, we see John describing this testimony that, that God has given concerning his son, and then how we should respond to it is what we're looking at in verses 10 through 12. And so if you're able to this morning, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word together, I'm standing in honor of God as, as we read his word. Verse 6, 1 John chapter 5, reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. John writes, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. And we come to verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time of worship we've already had as we've thought about you and responded in in singing about you, to you, praising you. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us this past year. We thank you for your graciousness to us. And now, Father, as we, we turn to your word 
more closely, to, to study it more in depth, we would ask that you would work in our hearts through your spirit. We, we pray that we would think rightly about who you are. And we pray that as we think rightly about who you are, your, your spirit would change our hearts and we would have the desire to be more like who you would have us to be. And, and I pray for us this week as, as, you, as you place us in different circumstances. I, I pray for those who are just, just really struggling with, with uh, sorrow or, or discouragement. I, I pray that your, your words here would, would uplift them as they think about the eternal life that is found in your son Jesus. And I pray for those of us who may be seeing friends or family this week and uh, may be challenged to respond in the right way as we interact with people. I, I pray that as we interact with, with maybe family who, who don't know you or family with whom sometimes always circumstances can be, be difficult, we, we pray that you just let us be instruments of grace in the lives of the people we spend time with this week. We pray for our church. We ask that you would help us to believe your testimony concerning your son and that this church would be a different community because of our faith in your son Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name, for your glory. Amen. When someone tells you that you have only two options, normally they're wrong, right? When a person says you, can, you have to make a choice, either A or B, normally they're wrong. Normally there's a C or a D or an E or so forth. Normally there's not only two choices. Like when a politician tells you, look, uh, either you support this piece of legislation or you want America to go down in flames. Uh, generally that's not true, right? Normally there's, there's multiple options in a situation like that. Or a car salesman telling you, look, I want you to, to purchase this car, and you can either purchase this car, or you don't care about your kids, and you want them to die in some sort of fiery car accident. I mean, normally there's, there's more than just two choices. It's apparent you're tempted to put just two choices in front of your kids sometimes. Look, you either study for this test, or I'm going to have to watch you slowly starve to death someday. I mean, two choices. Normally, there's, there's more than two choices, and, and a sign of intelligence is the ability to see nuance and, and see the, the, the plethora of options that exist before us, except when they don't. You see, even though normally we have multiple decisions that we can make in any given situation, sometimes there really are only two choices that are before us. Our boss calls us into her office and says, look, uh, the company is moving. You can either move with us or you can lose your job. That's not the time to say, hey, let's talk nuance here. There, there's two choices and you have to, to make a decision. As we come to 1 John chapter 5, what we see is that John says there are two and only two decisions that you can make in this circumstance. In verses 6 through 9, John has told us about God's testimony concerning his son Jesus. He's told us that the water and the blood, that represents Jesus' ministry, the beginning of his ministry with his baptism, the end of his ministry with his, his blood, the, the, the death that he bore on the cross for our sins. He said, as we think about Jesus' ministry, all of Jesus' ministry testifies to this truth, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross in your place. And everything that I've been saying, John says, in 1 John so far is true. 
there's only one way to deal with sin. You can't deny that sin exists. You can't pretend like you're good enough to deal with sin on your own. There's only one way to deal with sin, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you can receive the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross by believing in the Son of God. Everything about Jesus' ministry says that that's true. John also has just said, and the Spirit testifies that this is true. And he says, and God's testimony must be received because it's greater than the testimony of men. And so John is basically saying, look, here's the testimony of God. I'm, I'm putting it before you, and you need to decide what you're going to do with it. And John is telling us, John's telling us, there aren't three choices or four choices or five choices there are only two decisions that we can make here. We can either decide to believe what God has said concerning the Son, or we can choose to disbelieve what God has said. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that there is no more important decision you can make in your life than the decision as to what you're going to do with God's testimony concerning his son. No decision you face in your life will ever have further reaching consequences than the decision as to what you're going to do with God's testimony concerning his son Jesus Christ. You see, the decision as to what you're going to do about the person Jesus Christ, whenever God says, this is my son, he's Lord and he's Savior, and whenever you decide what you're going to do with that, that affects not just your eternity, but it affects you on a moment-by-moment basis. Whenever I find myself in life going through some sort of circumstance, And I have received God's testimony concerning his son. It changes the way I view that circumstance, right? If I find myself in a situation where I'm going through difficult times and maybe someone has hurt me, if I believe God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ, and I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, that's going to change the way I view that situation radically. If I find myself in a situation where I'm, I'm tempted to, to do something that's contrary to what God wants me to do, how I view that temptation, that situation, is radically altered based upon what I believe about the testimony of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. If I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I have a responsibility as a, a Christian to obey my Lord and Master, my Savior Jesus Christ, is going to change what I do in a given situation. There is no greater decision that I can make in life than what I'm going to do with God's testimony concerning His Son Jesus. And I can either believe and accept what God has said concerning Jesus, or I can deny it. That's the only, those are the only two things that I can do. And here's what I want us to do this morning as we go through verses 10 and 12. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at at two different people. That's what John does in these verses. He gives us two two different people to look at. Uh, The first person that we're going to look at is, we'll call him Christian. Not a very creative name, but we're going to call him Christian, okay? And, And Christian is the person who hears God's testimony concerning his son, and he believes it. He accepts it. And what we're going to do is we're going to see how that affects Christian 
how affecting how receiving God's testimony affects Christian not just in the, the future concerning his eternal destiny, but how it affects Christian in the present, what it does in Christian's life in the present as he receives God's testimony concerning who his son Jesus is. Then I, I want us to look at, at doubter. Again, not the most... You should have seen the kids' names I picked out before Whitney got a hold of them. But uh, So person number two, we're going to call him doubter. And doubter doesn't believe God's testimony. And how does rejecting God's testimony affect doubter both in the future and in the present? Okay, So we're contrasting two people, Christian and doubter. That's what John is doing. And we're going to first look at what Christian's life and doubter's life looks like in the present as they reject or accept God's testimony. And then we're going to look at what Christian and doubter's life looks like in the future, their eternal destiny, as they either receive or deny God's testimony concerning his son. What you do with God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ, is the most important decision you can make, past, present, or future. So let's begin. Let's look at verses 10. Let's look at verse 10. And what we see in verse 10 is that my life right now, my life right now, or your life right now, is entirely defined by how you respond to God's testimony. And here's what John writes here in verse 10. He says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, and whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And so what do you see? You see the contrast there of two people, Christian and doubter. And let's look at what John says about Christian first. Here's what he writes. He says, Right, he says, whoever believes, and that word believes doesn't just mean that Christian, at some point in his life, has just intellectually assented to the truths of Christianity. He's not saying that just this. He's not saying that Christian was, was maybe at church one time, and there was a Sunday school teacher who was telling him some things about Jesus, and Christian said, okay, those things sound true. I'm going to believe them. That's, that's not the sum total of what happened in Christian's life, according to John. You see, that word believes doesn't describe just one thing that happened in the past. It's not just intellectual agreement with something. That word believes implies trust and commitment. And that word believes is not just something that happens in the past, but it's, it's, it describes an ongoing action. In other words, Christian, at, at some point in his life, has heard the truth about who Jesus Christ is. He's heard about the reality that he's a sinner and that he needs a Savior and that Jesus Christ came and had this ministry of perfection and that he died on the cross for Christian sins and, and rose from the dead. Christian has heard those things, and he's intellectually believed that those are true, but there's something else that's true about Christian. Christian has placed his confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior. And it's not just a, a one-time event, but, but Christian continues to, to trust in Jesus. There's this ongoing dynamic nature of his faith. In fact, there's something very interesting about John's writing when it comes to faith. John, in his gospel, the gospel of John and the three epistles that, that bear his name, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd um, John, in, in each of those, he only uses the noun faith one time. He uses a verb for, 
for faith, for believing, over a hundred times. And some 80 times, 80 plus times, it, it describes a present tense believing. So for John, faith isn't just this, this one thing I kind of decide in the past and, and, and believe on. Faith is a, a thing that right now in the present is happening in my life. Right now there's this dynamic nature of my faith. I'm, I'm believing, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. And this, this belief, what happens? Look at what it says in the next part of the verse. It says, he, he believes... He believes in the Son of God, and, and, and what happens is he believes in the Son of God. It's not just some, some static thing that allows him to intellectually understand some things, but there's a, there's a consequence to it. When a person believes, has this ongoing confidence in who Jesus Christ is, it says that this person has the testimony, right? You see that? He has the testimony in himself. Christian, right now, he's made a decision in the past to place his faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and right now he believes in the Son of God. He has this continuing confidence that Jesus Christ is who God says Jesus is, and this this faith is this ongoing action in his life. And as he believes that, John says he he has the, the testimony inside himself, within himself. And we see in Scripture... Oftentimes, when we talk about an, an internal testimony, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. 1 John 4.15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And I think that's true, obviously. But in addition to that, in addition to the, the Holy Spirit being within Christian, telling him that he's a believer, there's, there's something else that's happening. I, I think this testimony refers to these truths that God has said concerning Jesus. And Christian, as he continues to place his faith in Jesus Christ, has this testimony within him, this, this, this ongoing confidence that what God said is true. He, he internalizes it. And as he internalizes that truth, it radically alters his present. You see, Christian understands that believing in Jesus has consequences in, in the present. Imagine you were to talk with someone about their their marriage. You said, are, are you married? And this person said, yes, I'm married. Uh, I stood in front of a bunch of people in a, a church one time and i i said a vow and so i, I married because once married always married what, what do you mean well i, I said a vow but, i mean right now i kind of dated a bunch of people and i don't really live with my spouse and but but hey I, I said some words a long time ago which means i'm married how well do you think they actually understand what marriage is those those vows that they said weren't just these these static things that kind of were an event in the past, and because I said them in the past, I'm I'm still married. That's not how marriage works. Marriage is is based upon these vows that I've made before God and other people. But those vows that I've made before God and other people have have fruit in the present. It's this ongoing relationship that begins at a point of time, but but continues and. Christian understands that the same thing is true in his relationship with God. There's some, something that happened in the past. Yes, I, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but there's an ongoing belief that I have in who Jesus is and 
It radically changes what happens in my life right now. Okay, that's, that's Christian. Now the next part of the verse tells us about doubter. About doubter. This is person number two here. He describes him as, as a person who does not believe God in verse 10, right? Here's doubter. How does doubter respond to this testimony that God has given concerning his son Jesus? Doubter doesn't believe. Now, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how people might respond to God's testimony. And, and maybe if you talked to doubter here, you said, well, doubter, are you saying that you don't believe God? And doubter would, would, would say, look, I wouldn't say it that strongly. I, I would say that I'm still kind of on the fence. Um, there, there are some things that I need to be confident that the story about Jesus is true. And I just don't have those things right now, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. And we talked a couple weeks ago about all the different testimonies that a person might say that that they desire in order for them to be confident of who Jesus is. Maybe Doubter says, uh, okay, I need some sort of historical proof, Doubter says. And if I had some sort of historical, historical proof, some sort of historical testimony, uh, maybe some sort of archaeological evidence, if I had exactly what I desire in terms of historical proof, then I, I would believe God's testimony. Or maybe Doubter says, if I had some sort of rhetorical argument that someone could give me that would absolutely positively prove to me without a doubt, based upon my standard of evidence that the story of Scripture is true, then I would believe. Or maybe some sort of logical argument. If there was a, a logical argument that could be construed in exactly the, the exact specifications to meet my desires, then I would believe. Or maybe if there was some sort of scientific proof uh, from physics or chemistry or, or astronomy or, you know, whatever, quantum physics, if I could find exactly that sort of proof that I personally have decided that I desire, then I would believe. And, and here's what John says. God's ultimate testimony, his ultimate piece of evidence that Jesus is the Son of God is his own authoritative voice. That's what God has said. And for God to allow us to base our confidence ultimately on, on something other than his own authoritative voice would mean that we made an idol of whatever evidence that is that we desire. Now, that's not to say that there isn't historical evidence, that scientific evidence doesn't support God's testimony, but it's, it's to say this. The ultimate authority that we have in the universe is God. And God has spoken with an authoritative voice, and here's what Doubter has done. Doubter has said, upon hearing God's authoritative voice concerning who his son is, his testimony, Doubter says, hmm, yeah, I'm not buying it. What does John say is true of the person who doesn't believe God's testimony? He says, whoever does not believe God, these, these are strong words, he says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God is literally the testimony that God has testified concerning his son. Brothers and sisters, that is a, that's a scary place to be, right? 
it's a scary place to be, to be in a situation where God has told you, here is who my son Jesus is, and you just say, liar. It's the fourth time that John has said that people are calling God a liar in 1 John. In 1 John 1.10, John says, look, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. His word isn't in us. 1 John 2.4, whoever says, I know God, but doesn't keep his commandments, is, is a, well, this is him calling himself a liar, is a liar and, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2.22 says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he, ha- whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we see in John uh, this, this consistent uh, people who deny God's truth are either lying to themselves or, or calling God a liar. Both things can't be true. We, we can't say that what God says is true and what I say is true if what I'm saying is contrary to what God says. So what is different then about doubter's life compared to Christian's life. Now, now stay with me here because what we're saying is that my life right now is entirely defined by how I respond to God's testimony. And Christian here has believed God's testimony and so he has the testimony within himself. Doubter has denied God's testimony. He's called God a liar and God's testimony isn't within him. How is his life different? Well, as we look at John's other writings, we see that person who doesn't believe in Jesus has several things that are different about their life as they don't have this this testimony within them. For example, they they don't have the ability to see God at work. In in John 12, verse 37, it says that Jesus did many signs, but people didn't believe in him. So here's Jesus, here's the Son of God doing these signs, and and people see this, and and they're not able to to apprehend, to, to comprehend what God is doing in their midst. person who doesn't have this testimony within them who doesn't believe the testimony can't follow jesus as they're called to john six sixty six. many of his disciples turned away no longer walked with him john eight thirty one. jesus said to the jews who believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples person who doesn't believe in jesus is guilty of blasphemy john eight forty eight. Jews look at Jesus and they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? They're separated from God. John eight nineteen, Jesus said, you don't know me, you don't know my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The consequence is this. The person who rejects God's testimony concerning his son Jesus, who rejects the the lordship of Jesus, lives their life walking in darkness. And unlike Christian, doubter doesn't have the ability to rightly understand how to process and view and live life to God's glory. 
See, how I respond to God's testimony concerning Jesus isn't just about whether or not I get to go to heaven someday in the future. It's about whether or not I'm going to experience the joy of God right now in the present. There's a book of the Bible that I, I just I really love. There's just so much application. It's in the Old Testament. It's the book of Haggai. And in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, there's an expression that occurs that that is just a, it's a beautiful idiom, a, a beautiful expression. In the book of Haggai, the people have failed to live as God has told them to live. They failed to prioritize the relationship with God rightly. They're, they're not building the temple as God has told them to. And, and they're not experiencing joy because of their disobedience. And, and there's this expression that occurs over and over again in the book of Haggai. It's, it's uh, literally, it says, put, your, uh, put or, or place or, or set your heart on the road. It means to consider your ways. It means to, to, to put your heart on your path and think, is, is this path the right path for me to be, to be on? Listen to what Haggai says to the people, or God says through Haggai. He says, is it the right time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Verse 5 of Haggai 1. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What is Haggai saying here? He's saying, take a second, step back, put your heart on the road, consider your ways, think about what's going on. And realize that your life is not bringing you satisfaction. I want you to stop just a moment this morning and put your heart on the road. Are you finding life not quite as satisfying as you would have hoped? So think about where you are here at the end of, of two th- nearing the end of 2014. Is life somewhat dissatisfying? Haggai's point here isn't, look, uh, believe God so that you can have a money bag that doesn't have holes in it and acquire lots of things for yourself. What he's saying is, look, you've been pursuing these things, and, and as, you, as you pursue these things, they're, they're not bringing you the joy that you thought that they would bring. And, and think about it. Maybe what you're pursuing, even as if you've obtained it, isn't going to, to bring you satisfaction. And, and that's what I encourage you to think about this morning. Your life right now is entirely defined by how you respond to God's testimony. Christian hears the testimony of God. He believes it, and as he believes it, he has a testimony in himself. He, it has joy in the present. Doubter doesn't believe God's testimony, and life doesn't bring him joy. He calls God a liar, and he suffers the consequences, not just in, into eternity, but, but in the present. Okay, that's your life right now. Let's talk about your life in the future. What we see is the same thing. Your life in the future is also entirely defined by how you respond to God's testimony. Let me read 
verse 11 first, and then we're going to look we're going to look at verse 11, and verse 11 kind of sets a bridge here, and then we're going to look at verse 12 and see these two guys contrasted one more time. Here's verse 11. Verse 11, I'm still in Haggai, which would also, another great verse 11, but not the same one we're studying this morning. First John, verse 11 of chapter 5, this is what he writes. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. What is John saying here? He says that the testimony that God, what God has testified to, is this eternal life. Eternal life is the Son. 1 John 1, 2. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 1 John 5, 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. We've just seen this. And this life is in His Son. So what is eternal life? Is eternal life just a great quantity of life. In other words, there's, there's <clears throat> this moment in time right now, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I receive eternal life, and then just life into eternity. Is, is that all that eternal life is? Is eternal life just a greater quantity of life? I, I have a little bit of life now. You know, if Lord willing, I live hundred years or whatever and then and then uh that's my normal quantity of life but then i get eternal life and i I just live into eternity is that what eternal life is more of the same if that was what eternal life was if i just took myself right now and just lived on to eternity that would not be a joyful thing It would be hell. Eternal life isn't just about quantity of life. You know, this this Friday is uh, Black Friday, you know, one of the darkest days of the entire year, right? Whitney's in first service, so I can say things like this. But I, I'm trying to work on my attitude because uh, although Black Friday to me represents everything that is evil in the world, um, lines, people, materialism, all those things, um, Whitney is Whitney's really looking forward to it. And so I, I'm looking. I, I've never done this before, but, th- but this year I, I've told her I'm going to try to I'm going to try to to do Black Friday with you. I I, I want to be with you, and I do. But it's going to be rough. But I'm going to be with her. That's the good part. Now, if you told me eternal life is just an eternity of Black Fridays, I think I would pass. If you told me it was like five Black Fridays, I think I would pass. So eternal life has to mean something more than just quantity. Here's what the Bible says about eternal life. Eternal life, first of all, it's about escaping something. It's about escaping death and judgment. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so the person who doesn't have eternal life is going to experience death. John 3.16 tells us the same thing. 
the person who believes in Jesus doesn't perish but has eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5.24, whoever hears my word and believes in believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So, so negatively, it means we escape death. It means we escape judgment. But it also means that we experience true satisfaction. Listen to what Jesus says in John 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 6, 40. Just a few verses earlier, 635, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks in the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He would say a few verses later in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. In other words, what is eternal life? Eternal life is complete joy and satisfaction and abundance of life. Not just quantity of life, but this quality and abundance of life found where? Found in Jesus. Now look at verse 12. First of all, he describes the Christian. The Christian is the one, he says here, who has the Son. In other words, the Son abides in him. There's, there's this abiding relationship we've talked about in, in John already. Whoever has the Father has life in himself. There's this life that he has through his faith. In Jesus. They abide together. And this person who has the Son has this eternal life that we just described. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We, we saw already life was in himself. We saw in John five twenty six, he granted a Son also to have life in himself. And so the person who has the Son has this eternal life within him. Christian has this eternal life. The doubter doubter does not he says in verse 12 whoever does not have the son of god doesn't have this eternal life here are some principles i want us to think about as we apply this here's some principles for application just just three of these for us to think through number one the most consequence the most consequential decision you can make for your life is whether or not you're going to accept the testimony of God concerning his son. There is no other decision you're going to make in your life that has further reaching consequences than what you're going to do with God's testimony concerning his son. It affects your future. It affects your present. It affects how you view every situation in which you find yourself in life. Doubter and Christian can find themselves in the exact same external circumstance and their response to it is going to be radically different because doubter says one thing about that circumstance. Christian says this is a circumstance 
that God has brought me to, and in this circumstance, I'm going to trust in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's radically different. The most consequential decision you can make for your life is whether or not you're going to accept the testimony of God concerning His Son. My encouragement to you this morning would be if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we do so even even now. Here's a second principle as we think about this testimony of God concerning the Son. For Christian here, the second principle is this. Believing in Christ is not just a momentary acceptance of, of of truths about Christ, but it's a a lifetime commitment to trust in Him. Believing in Jesus Christ doesn't just mean that at some point in the past I I prayed a prayer, or some point in the past I I, I walked down an aisle, or at some point in the past I, I just kind of prayed this prayer with mom and dad. Believing in Jesus Christ means right now, in this moment, not, not, just, not just in the past, not just when my relationship with God began, but right now in the present, believing in the present, believing in Jesus Christ means that I'm, I'm currently trusting in him. I'm committing to a lifetime of trusting him and, and being obedient to him. And this morning, maybe as you, as you put your heart on the road, you're recognizing that, that Jesus Christ is not Lord of your present. You trusted him in the past. You have confidence that he'll give you what you want in the future. But, but he's not Lord of your present. There's a circumstance in your life, a temptation you're facing, a struggle you're going through, and you're, you're doubting you're doubting God's testimony concerning his son. And this is what God is saying to you this morning through his word. Jesus Christ is Lord. And yeah, the circumstance that I want you to trust Jesus in is is a tough one. But do it anyway. Here's, Here's a third point of application. Jesus Christ is eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life. This could be paradigm busting for some of us. Because here's how some of us think of heaven or or think of Jesus, eternal life. Sometimes we think Jesus is like this, this ticket. And there's some really cool things I want. Maybe there's some cool things I want in the present. There's a relationship I want in the present. There's happiness I want in the present. Or there's financial blessing that I want in the present. And, and my belief is that if I just play the, the Jesus ticket, or I, I, I draw the Jesus ticket, uh, drink the magic Jesus potion, he'll be the, the means to get me whatever it is that I want in the present. Or maybe Jesus will be like this, this, this magic ticket to get me what I want in the future. And so there's this, this future in heaven that I want, with uh, streets of gold and being able to fly and seeing my family again. And, and, I mean, it's good to want to see your family again, but God gives us that hope as well. But we see Jesus as just some means to get what we really want. Here, here's the truth, and this, this will change your view of the future. It should change your view of the present. Jesus isn't the means to the end. 
isn't just Jesus isn't just the means to the end. Jesus is also the end. Does that make sense? We don't use Jesus to get to what we really want. Jesus is what we really want. And if you haven't understood that fundamental truth of life, you haven't understood Christianity. Jesus is not just the means to get what I really want. Jesus is what I want. Jesus isn't just the means to eternal life. Jesus is eternal life itself. You see, if eternal life was just Daniel living like Daniel for eternity, it would be hell for eternity. But Jesus is eternal life. And what Jesus being eternal life means is that that as I pursue Jesus, as I pursue my ultimate satisfaction in him, I am changed. And I receive not just a quantity of life, but an abundance of life. Jesus is not just the means. He is the end. And if we, that is not our understanding of life, it's not, if it's not our understanding of reality, we haven't understood God's testimony concerning His Son. There is no greater decision you can make in life than what you're going to do with God's testimony concerning His Son, Jesus. Believe what God has said concerning his son, receive his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. Receive him as eternal, abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that in him is life, is light, is, is all that is, that is joyful and, and beautiful. We pray that you'd give us the ability to know who you are, to experience you fully. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.